0: New, joining us for the first time this morning, just a really warm welcome to you. It's great to have you here. My name's Joel. And uh, whenever, I want to give a preface to some things that I'll say this morning, and it's, I think this preface counts for any time anyone speaks about God, but especially when, when we come to talk about the Holy Spirit, it's really important that we acknowledge that there's a great deal of mystery and wonder um, attached to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and it's not something that can just be explained and understood (laughs) like some kind of mathematical or scientific formula. Um, The Holy Spirit is actually a person who is meant to be experienced Um, and many people will give testimony to the work and the power of the Spirit in their lives Uh, but they can't exactly point to any kind of physical evidence. Bron and I were talking last night about just how many scans she has had over the last 12 months. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we all as believers understand that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in in our hearts or in our souls. But if you were to go and have a scan, nothing would give evidence that God's Spirit dwells within you. But as believers, we know this to be true because not of just what our head tells us, but what our experience of God is. And it is actually the Spirit's presence in our lives that allows us to experience the wonder and the majesty and the power and the glory of God. We read in John 4 that worship, true worship, is worship that is offered in the Spirit And there's very much a sense of our spirits communing with God's spirit. When the people of God worship, it is a very spiritual act. It is far beyond the simple singing of songs, it's way more than instruments and lyrics. There's a a spiritual moment that is taking place, and that's wonderful. And that is all because of the Holy Spirit. When we think about Pentecost and we think about the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we might, particularly in our very individualistic society, reflect on the Spirit's presence and power and manifestation in our own lives. And indeed, at the end of this message, I'm going to invite you to consider what your spiritual need is (laughs) And invite the Holy Spirit to come and satisfy that need. But when the Spirit fell, when the Spirit was poured out upon God's people, His followers at Pentecost, it was done in the context of community. And God is always about community. He is always about meeting his people together. He is always about working through his people together. And he is all about advancing the gospel of the kingdom through his people, the community. And so whilst it's good and important and necessary for us to think about the implications of the Holy Spirit in our lives as individual believers, we must also keep very much at the forefront of our minds that it's the collective work of the Holy Spirit among the body of believers where God most powerfully visits and works for his glory. And therefore, isn't it wonderful that even though we at times might feel spiritually dry or as though the Spirit isn't having much of a powerful impact in our lives, that is not true or reflective of the body and of the community a wonderful thing to be a part of the Christian community. Now, on this wonderful Pentecost Sunday that we've, we read about at the very beginning of our service, that we can find all about in Acts chapter 2, um, as was mentioned, this occurred 50 days after Easter. And this moment was in many respects the birth of the early church. There was a small band of followers that Jesus had, and in the upper room discourse, Jesus had invited them to obediently wait for the coming Spirit that the Father would send them. And so the believers, we find, had done exactly that. They'd stayed in Jerusalem, they'd waited obediently for the Spirit, and the Spirit came And the Spirit came at a time of festival. It was the Jewish festival called the Festival of Weeks. And this festival also occurred 50 days after the Passover. Uh, But this moment signified the birth of the church because from this time in Jerusalem, believers then went forth back to their various communities and the church started to spread and grow. And when it's your birthday, it's it's an event that comes around every year. It is, of course, a moment of celebration and thanksgiving. Uh, But also it is a moment of reflection. I'm not sure about you, but when you have a birthday, uh, for me it is particularly a time to reflect on my life, to reflect on my purpose, to reflect on uh, the year that's been and the year that will be ahead. And so it's good for us at this time to think about the purpose and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in believers. Now they didn't have headers in those days, but when Pentecost happened, that first sort of New Testament Pentecost, uh, Pentecost was not first invented then. Pentecost was actually the name of this festival, and this festival had had a long-standing Jewish tradition, and the festival, as I mentioned, was the Festival of Weeks. It was the festival of the new harvest. It was the festival of the harvesting of the first fruits. And the Jewish people would gather together and they would celebrate and give thanks to God for the new harvest that they would soon be receiving. And there's a real prophetic sense about what is happening in Acts 2 because it is not grain that is being harvested, but on that Pentecost... 3,000 souls were harvested, and that was the beginning of the harvest of the New Testament church, which continues to this day because our God saves. Another fascinating piece of information that I learnt this week is that the period of time between Passover and Pentecost uh, is 50 days. And, and that's what we celebrate. So today is seven Sundays after Easter Sunday. Now, the really interesting thing that was happening at that first Pentecost is, of course, the Jewish people would have understood that there was this uh, period of time between Passover and Pentecost. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll recall the original Passover was where the Israelites were told to gather together and, and eat that meal before they fled Egypt in haste. And the, do, the doors were, the doorposts were covered with the blood of the lamb. Well, they went on a journey. They actually spent 40 years in the wilderness before they arrived at the promised land. But within, between the, the day of the Passover and the day when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai was 50 days. And so there's this powerful understanding that 50 days after the first Passover, the glory and the power of God manifested itself in God giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. God's power and God's glory was on display. God revealed himself. God demonstrated how people could be saved and it was through obedience to the law and that law was written on tablets of stone and the law basically set for God's people the ways in which they would demonstrate to the nations the holiness of God by the way they loved him and the way they operated in their relationships within the context of love towards one another. And what we see happening in Acts 2 is the replacement of the law of stone uh, with the heart of flesh, the prophet Ezekiel spoke of. And so at Pentecost, uh, unlike God's glory being revealed in his law, God's glory is revealed in the powerful presence of the spirit of Jesus. And it's no longer the law, good works that will save people. People will only be saved through the powerful presence of Jesus and what he has done in his death and resurrection. And people are now being saved and transformed as Jesus comes into their lives. And people will not be, and the world will not know the goodness of. God's people through their obedience to his laws. The world will know the goodness and the salvation of God through the glorification of Jesus and everything that he did. And so there's some wonderful things for us to learn about Pentecost. And I just love this image of God pouring out his spirit upon his kids, (laughs) which is what the Bible says we are. And there's a sense for us where we don't necessarily understand what's happening. But the invitation is to receive the outpouring of God's spirit and to be washed and to be cleansed and to be renewed and restored and prepared for what lies in front of us. It's a beautiful image. We are made holy not because of anything that we can do or have done. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit for a reason. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and God is entirely holy, and our holiness comes from Him. And so when God dwells in us by His Spirit, we become holy people. Uh, the closer we become to god and the more obedient we come to god the holier there is of his there's a sense of the holiness of his presence increasing in our lives we're currently in a series called the message of jesus and i'm just doing something a little different today obviously to mark the day of pentecost normally we would take a passage of scripture and kind of exegetically explore it and understand it and unpack it and That's certainly my preferred style of of, of teaching God's Word. But I wanted to do something just a little different this morning. So kind of go with me. And uh, Jesus spoke... Originally, I thought, oh, great. Well, I'll just give a message on what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. Well, that would take a lot longer than just, you know, half an hour on a Sunday morning. Um, But the Gospel, where Jesus does speak extensively about the Holy Spirit, and particularly how the Holy Spirit relates to the lives of believers is in the Gospel of John. And there are a number of times where Jesus speaks about the Spirit. Now, I had an interesting sort of light bulb moment this week that I shared with Doug. Last Saturday, Doug shared with the, uh, the men uh, who came along about um, the left and the right brain. And uh, some of us are more right brain, like creative, experiential types, others are other others of us are more left-brain oriented and more sort of facts and figures and this is how it should be and we all have elements of both but we tend to lean more heavily into one or the other and of all the four gospels John is the most right-brained gospel and by that I mean it is it is very much a gospel of experience um, John is very relational he has lots of encounters lots of lengthy dialogues with individuals it's very much about relationship it's about experience And it's the Gospel of John where the greatest level of detail around the Holy Spirit's kind of relationship and influence is um, found in the Gospel of John, and that's all very right brain. And for me, it was just this wonderful moment of realising that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's really important to understand, and there's there's absolutely left-brain kind of knowledge that we need to know, but at the end of the day, the, the Spirit is about experience and wonder and mystery. and uh, and creativity and beauty. And so how wonderful for us to just consider that as we look at a few different passages from John's Gospel. The first time we see Jesus speaking about the Spirit is with the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4. And from that conversation, her understanding was that, you know, worship was very much about the place. And even for the Jewish people, worship of God was done in the context of the temple in Jerusalem. And so but Jesus transforms her understanding of what true worship would all be about. It wouldn't be about where a person worshipped, but it would be who and how they worshipped. They would worship God, they would worship Jesus, they would worship him in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit enables us to worship God. Then in John chapter 7, we Read of Jesus again, referring to the Holy Spirit, and he does this in the context of what's called the Festival of Tabernacles. Let me just read these verses. This is right at the end of this festival. It's a week-long festival, and on the last day, Jesus kind of makes this grand announcement. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. What we see here is that the Spirit brings spiritual satisfaction. Now what's fascinating is that the festival of tabernacles was all about celebrating and remembering and commemorating the way that God ministered to and sustained the Israelites on their 40-year journey in the desert. What they would do during this festival of tabernacles is make special booths or tents, if you will, that actually represented kind of the tents that the Jewish people lived in when they were on journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And they were in the desert. The desert is a place of dryness, of barrenness, of vulnerability. And what does Jesus say into the context of a festival that commemorates a period of time in Israel's history where they were living in the desert? He speaks of living water, how awesome. The majority of the information that Jesus shares about the Holy Spirit comes in his upper room discourse. This magnificent, beautiful part of John's gospel. And if you ever, if you haven't ever done this, I highly recommend and encourage you to read John chapter 13, right through to John chapter 17, in one sitting. This is known as the upper room discourse and this is the conversation that Jesus has, the Holy Spirit has recorded for us, there are obviously other words that were spoken, but this recounts everything that Jesus said and everything that happened on the night that he was betrayed as he's gathered around with his closest followers and really in a sense pouring out the heart of his message and it's in this environment, it's in this context that Jesus speaks the most about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. We can see here that one of the roles or the functions of the Holy Spirit is to advocate for us. Further on in John 14, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit teaches us. A little further on, still in the upper room discourse, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. When you think of testifying or giving a testimony, what you are effectively doing is providing evidence of something that you have witnessed. <laughs> and so what we, what we learn here is that the Spirit actually is evidence of God's work and God's power, both in our lives but in the lives of others. Wonderful. The Spirit provides evidence for us to minister. A little further on. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. We learn here that one of the roles or the functions of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction of sin. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. It's the very reason we pray prayers like Phil prayed that God would fill us with his discernment because it says that he will lead us into his truth. And so we ask that God would give us his discerning truth to understand his will and his ways. And the role of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus in the lives of believers. Now, all of that was post-resurrection. What Jesus says to his followers in John twenty is, um, is, is. Sorry, that was pre. I'm very human. Pre-resurrection. What John says in what what Jesus says in John twenty is post-resurrection, and it's got a very very different tone. Again, Jesus said, "Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me." I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What we see here is Jesus sending, and that will be extended in Acts 1, 8, very powerfully. The extending of the mission that has now been given to the followers. But he not only sends them on mission, he empowers them for that mission with authority. And when we read verse 23, we might think, hang on, what does that actually mean? If I forgive somebody's sins, they are forgiven? No, you or I don't have power or authority to forgive another person their sins. It's the power and the authority of Jesus in us that allows the, the, the forgiving of sins. So we don't forgive people's sins, Jesus does, but in a sense we are empowered with the spirit of Jesus to lead people to Jesus and encounter Jesus. There's a sense of empowerment that is happening in that moment. The Greek word parakletos, which John uses four times in his gospel and he uses it one time in his letter, 1 John 2, 1. The Greek word parakletos is translated in generally three or four ways. It is translated as comforter, or in the New Living Translation, sorry, New International Version that we've been reading from, it's translated as advocate. Other translations will use the word helper, and other translations have used the word counsellor. All of these terms are right. The problem that we have is that our English language is not as rich as and comprehensive as the Greek. And so it's important for us just to understand what this word actually means. And also remember that Jesus was very particularly using this word to describe the Holy Spirit to his disciples in the upper room. Now think about what was happening for them at that time. They were in a very vulnerable place, Their Lord and Saviour, who they'd given their lives to and followed for the last three years, was telling them that he was about to die. He was about to leave them. No doubt they would have been feeling fearful and anxious, vulnerable, perhaps a little bit scared, concerned about what the authorities might say to them because of all of this um, situation that was taking place this idea was Jesus, the king, and following a different king rather than following Caesar of the day. So that's the context into which Jesus is speaking and he uses this word. So I just explain these three words. When we, when we hear and we think of the word comforter, yeah. we would probably tend to think of a, a situation where someone is, is upset or is mourning and they're being consoled. And, and that's true. That's very much part of the comfort. But the The inflection in the Greek, the understanding is that the comforter is one who comes alongside and, yes, brings comfort in a difficult time, but more importantly, brings strength. So the Latin word comfort means with strength. And this idea of comforting is actually um, giving you strength in the face of something difficult to be brave, And so I think about a parent comforting a child. And you comfort that child in a difficult situation because something has happened. But as a parent, you want to instill within them the courage to go forward. Does that make sense? And so the Holy Spirit is going to come to the believers and they're going to be grieving because Jesus is gone. But he's gonna come and he's gonna comfort them to go forward. And they're gonna go bravely into all that God's inviting them into. The word that is used in the NIV is the word advocate. And this very much has judicial kind of overtones. Uh, The idea of advocation is that somebody will stand up and defend you and speak on your behalf and give you representation. And the picture of an advocate is that you, as as the, the person who is being represented in this sense, doesn't even have a voice. Somebody else is actually speaking on your behalf. And this very much speaks to the role of the Holy Spirit in in interceding for us before God. Uh, When God looks at us, he sees the holiness of Christ because his spirit dwells within us. He doesn't see our brokenness, our sinfulness. How awesome that we have the advocate who advocates to God on our behalf, but also we're told in Scripture that when you come before authorities in my name, I will give you the words to speak. And so we trust, and this is the mystery of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit will actually empower us with words to speak. We don't need to be concerned about defending. God will do that on our behalf in the spiritual realm. And then finally, the idea of a helper. And this is, again, very much one who is stronger than another, kind of putting strength in and helping them. It's very much coming alongside and actually doing the journey with you. It's an aid, an associate. And the role of the spirit is all of these things. Um, the the When the word counsellor is used, it probably fits more in this advocate kind of realm. So that's why there are different words that are used. They all um, have... Richness in their meaning, and they all describe roles of the Holy Spirit. What we're starting to see is this magnificent picture of the multifaceted nature of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, and the function of the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit enables worship, the Holy Spirit brings spiritual satisfaction where there is dryness, the Holy Spirit advocates on our behalf in the heavenly realms, the Holy Spirit teaches us the wisdom and the ways of God. The Holy Spirit provides evidence for testimony, for giving witness. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit leads us to truth. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus through us. The Holy Spirit sends us on mission and the Holy Spirit empowers us with spiritual authority. Notwithstanding the other roles that are explained about the Holy Spirit, we're not Focusing on this morning, but are found in the epistles. The Holy Spirit um, produces signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture and illuminates Scripture as we read it. The Holy Spirit brings spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives, um, war, gives armor in spiritual warfare, the sword of the Spirit, and the, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives that is becoming of those who actually have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. We can't function as Christians without the Holy Spirit. This cannot be overstated anymore. And I love this quote by J.I. Packer. The Christian's life, all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, left, (laughs) devotional and relational, right, Upsurging in worship and ongoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from Him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. Let me say it again. We can't function as Christians without the Spirit. You don't need to fear whether or not The Spirit dwells within you. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us His Spirit comes to dwell within us. And that is how, my friends, you function as a Christian. Not because of you and what you do, but because God empowers you to live according to His will and His ways. This is, is it not, a beautiful picture of grace. We are empowered by God to live for God. It's awesome. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here. Um, and I might be wrong, and that's, that's okay. It's nothing heretical. But what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing when I'm reading the Gospel of John, and as we've just examined some of these verses this morning, what I'm seeing, what I'm observing in Jesus is that based on the situation that he finds himself in the context, the person, their particular need. He he reveals to them a particular aspect of the Spirit's role and function that intersects with where they are at. Does this make sense? So, for example, when Jesus meets the woman at the well and they're having a conversation about worship, Jesus kind of gets the diamond of the Holy Spirit and shows her this aspect, right? When the Spirit of God dwells in the heart of a believer, worship is not about where you worship, it's about who and how you worship, it's the Spirit of God dwelling within you, connecting with the Spirit of God, That this awesome moment of communion and worship takes place. When Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles, a time when people are thinking about and physically observing tents that remind them of a time of dryness and barrenness, of wandering around in the desert, and Jesus has this magnificent phrase about living water... He kind of shows them that aspect of the Spirit, that the Spirit satisfies your greatest thirst. When Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, a moment when these guys are feeling vulnerable and fearful and timid and tender and unsure of what the future holds, he speaks about the advocate, the the comforter, the helper, the one who will come alongside you and comfort you but also put courage in you for what lies Ahead, you're going to start my church and you're going to continue the mission that I've began. And then after his post-resurrection appearance, when the disciples are excited, Jesus has risen. You know, everything that the scriptures foretold have come true and we're now being given a mission. And he kind of reveals to them that aspect of the Spirit's Sending. And I, I wonder for you, what is your spiritual need right now? Who do you identify with? Do you identify with the woman at the well? Do you long for your worship of God to be more pervading in your life? to truly encounter something of the goodness and the glory of God rather than going through the routine of worship being very much about place rather than about person and relationship. That's what we see in John 4. Maybe you're in a season of spiritual dryness. You feel like you're, again, just going through the motions and not really... Connecting with God, not hearing from God. Maybe you need to encounter the living water of Jesus' Holy Spirit. Maybe you're perhaps facing something at the moment, like Heather's facing, and you're fearful, you're uncertain, you're feeling vulnerable, you're feeling tender, you're feeling unsure. Maybe you're about to branch out into something new, and you need the comfort. Or you need the advocate. You need someone to come and defend you, to go before you, to fight for you, to be your spokesperson. You need someone to journey with you. Maybe you are full of enthusiasm and excitement and God is inviting you and calling you into a new season or a new chapter of your life. What is your particular spiritual need right now? Well, Friends, men and women of God, I can't answer that question for you. But God can. In Matthew 7, 7 to 8, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. So we're going to take a moment now to be still and to pause and to wait upon God. And I just invite you to reflect where you are spiritually, what your need is, and to ask that God would come and fill you afresh and meet you at that place of need. But let's just come to that time now and be still before God. is speaking to you, if you would like somebody to come alongside and to pray with you, if you'd love the opportunity just to, just to share and have prayer, you're very welcome. Um, Sarah, myself, uh, there are many others in this church community I know who would just be honoured to pray with you. And uh, I invite you to take that opportunity. We have a beautiful prayer room here that is always available for prayer. Uh, But you may just feel comfortable as well speaking to someone you know and just finding a quiet place and just taking some time to share and to pray and to seek God. Scriptures say as we wait upon the Lord, He will renew our strength. And that's where I want to finish this morning is knowing that God is the everlasting God, that He strengthens those who wait upon him. Maybe for you it is a longer period of time of waiting on God that is required and I invite you to make some time either today or in your week to wait upon God and receive from him. God will meet you at your place of need. So we're gonna to stand together and we're gonna rejoice and celebrate over our God. who gives strength to the weak and the weary And as we do, we'll receive our offering as an act of ongoing worship. Thank you so much for your generosity in giving to the Lord's work. Especially thank you to those who've given electronically during the week. So grateful for your generosity that allows us to continue ministering for the Lord in this place and beyond. Stand together and sing.